The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. So this morning we move from one of Jesus' longest parables, the parable of the sower, that took us approximately 20 verses and three weeks to, to move through, to some, a section of four short rapid-fire parables. And we, we saw, as we read, they each begin with this phrase, and he said to them. And he said to them is just telling us that Jesus is teaching in this parabolic form. This is how uh, we're going to see the rest of Mark 4 play out in this parable form before we get to Jesus calming the storm. Um, and to be honest, I've, I've never really taught a parable of Jesus before uh, being in Mark chapter 4. It's been really interesting to me. Um, and specifically here, because the parable of the sower uh, takes such a large section of Mark chapter 4, and then we get to these short ones. And as I, as I was in the parable of the sower for so long as we were in it, you, you now come to these shorter ones and you see how they're kind of a commentary on the larger parable that came before. Uh, whereas the first two parables... Uh, that we're looking at this morning, they kind of relate to what we found in the middle section, verses 10 to 12 of Mark chapter 4. It was that, that strange part where Jesus takes, takes his uh, disciples and those who were closest around him and, and he teaches them uh, aside from the larger crowd. And he tells them that to you, the secret of the kingdom has been given. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Our two parables this morning, I think, deal mainly with that section. And then uh, as we continue on through Mark chapter 4, we have the parable of the, that two parables that relate to the kingdom of God. And it uses the imagery of seeds and growth. And if you have been with us the past few weeks, you understand that is part and parcel with what the parable of the sower is about. So to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables if it's like Jesus is saying if you're on the inside you're privy to this special revelation of the kingdom of God but if you're on the outside things aren't so clear they're in parables we heard that text preached a couple weeks ago and now I'm still thinking about it it's certainly one of the more difficult sayings of Jesus if we're honest with ourselves what does Jesus mean by this why doesn't he just tell this to everybody What's, what's going on here? But as I'm still seeking more understanding of that challenging passage, we encounter a passage for today. In other words, as we've read it, just when you think that God might have sent his beloved son to whisper the truth of the kingdom in the ears of just a select few people, we get this. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed and not on a stand? Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So in, in typical parabolic fashion, we have some common objects, everyday objects used in this teaching that represent something specific. And in this verse 21, we have the image of a lamp. Uh, a lamp back then, as you probably would guess, it was, it was small and portable, made of clay, uh, it kind of had curved edges so that it could hold oil on the inside. And then it had this little spot uh, where you could drop a wick in it and it would keep it burning for a long time. 
this, this is the type of lamp that Jesus would be talking about, the one that everybody had in their house so that they could see as they uh, would move about during the night. But as parables use these common everyday language and objects, uh, what is this lamp representing? What, what is this parable trying to, to teach us? So you can ask the question, what is the lamp? Or better yet, as you probably are asking, who is the lamp? Right? To, to help us answer that question, Jesus actually gives us a short explanation of the parable in this passage. And I wouldn't call it a full-on interpretation like we get with the parable of the sower, where we get seven, eight verses of him explaining every, every piece of the parable. But he does say this. He says in verse 21, the parable of the lamp. And then in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Light manifesting. Uh, so obviously the imagery of the lamp is being used to talk of something or again of someone who was revealing something that has been a secret previously hidden from us, right? Uh, this, is, this is what the, the imagery is being used to do. And within the context of Mark chapter 4, as we just stated, uh, verses 10 to 12, Jesus talks of revealing the secret of the kingdom of God. That is the thing that has been kept secret. How will God bring about establishing and inaugurating his kingdom? Well, then we can conclude that the lamp is the one who was bringing to light, revealing the hidden plan of God's glorious kingdom. And doesn't this make perfect sense then why Jesus would use the language of a lamp to speak of revealing something? Is this not what a lamp is for? That's the whole purpose of the parable. Any lamp that is covered up so that it gives no light is worthy of nothing more than a name change. It is no longer a lamp. That's the whole point of the parable. Um, a couple of weeks ago, have, have, you, have any of you seen that show on Netflix called Alone, where people go into the Alaskan wilderness for however long it takes to be the last one there to survive? Um, it, they, they may end up staying 80, 100 days, and it is freezing cold. Um, and this one guy, he heated up a bunch of rocks to put under his bed so that, you know, it kept him warm. Well, unfortunately, he caught his bed completely on fire uh, when he did that. So, but the, the point is, uh, even that was a terrible idea to put something that hot under your bed. And Jesus is saying it would completely defeat the purpose if you put a lamp that is blazing in fire with its wick underneath the bed. First of all, dangerous to catch your bed on fire, but also it doesn't give any light. You've covered it up. Isn't that the point of a lamp? But just to be sure we're understanding who this lamp is, let's do some more digging. And while we're doing this, remember that the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture, right? So how does the rest of the Bible speak of lamps? Uh, the one who has the most to say about them is John. And in his gospel, we, we find Jesus actually calling someone else, John the Baptist to be exact, a shining lamp. In, in chapter 5, Verses 35 to 36, <clears throat> Jesus says this. He, John the Baptist, was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness, light up, reveal 
about me that the Father has sent me. So John was a lamp. He was a lamp because he was given the task of revealing the mystery or the secret of when the Messiah would come. And Jesus, however, claims to be the brighter light with greater revelation of the Father and his plan. And this should come as no surprise since if you remember the opening of John's gospel, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, admits that John the Baptist specifically says, was not the light. Verses 8 and 9, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. With this help, this, this, is, this is pretty clear who the true light is, right? It explicitly says it here, but there's still a glaring issue, right? If what Jesus is saying in Mark's gospel is that he is the lamp, the light that's brought into the world to be put on a stand, where is he now? Right, that's the glaring issue. Where is Jesus now? He isn't exactly here anymore. After his crucifixion, his burial, and his, his resurrection, he ascended into the heavens, right? And this is good news. We need him to do this. But has it all returned to secrecy? Is the lamp covered again? Has God's plan gone back under the bushel? There's this interesting verse later on in John's gospel. Chapter 9, verse 5. It's, it's, a, it's a section where Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You, you see, Jesus knew the day of his death and departure would come. So what happens after that? Is the light gone and I'm sure most of you already know where I'm headed with this. We even read it this morning in between songs um, from Matthew's gospel where Jesus is teaching his followers from the hillside. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, in the, in the very words of Jesus, the people of God become God's light for the world. Revealing the goodness of the Father and the goodness of his kingdom in the goodness of our work. This is what Jesus is communicating to the people in our passage in Mark 4, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, this lamp, you must bear the light that you have been given. You must be a good steward of the mystery I'm entrusting to you. And if anyone thinks that he has received the light, yet keeps it to himself and covers it, he should check this parable again. For instead of a lampstand, he has become the basket. And I love, some of you, especially if you uh, have taken uh, the class with Terry on the, the book of Revelation, uh, I'm going to turn to it real quick. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, John gets this vision. And it carries you through the first few chapters of, of this apocalypse, of this revelation. 
John sees seven golden lampstands. And just a few verses later, we're told that these lampstands represent the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so, starting in verse uh, 13, here's what he sees. In the midst of the lampstands, representing the churches, was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And listen to this language. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Do you see the imagery here? What, what is supposed to be in the middle of a lampstand? The light, right? The light. But John sees what? A person, the son of man, right? Who we all know by now to mean Jesus. It's one of his favorite titles for himself, the son of man. And he is described in the most fiery, flame-like language you could possibly use. In fact, Jesus is about to address each of these seven lampstand churches on how well they have been shining forth the light of the gospel. That's what these letters to the church are. And after addressing each one of these churches, Jesus even says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Does that sound familiar? You see, the people of God, us, were never meant to be a secret society. Right? We aren't meant to be secret keepers, but secret spreaders. It's the secret that we're finally allowed to share. And I know I've said this before, uh, specifically preaching uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, but when God reveals the secret of his kingdom to you, he doesn't say, shh, don't tell anyone. He says, tell everyone. And that may bring some questions up in your mind about the messianic secret in Mark's gospel, how sometimes Jesus will perform a miracle or heal someone, and then he says, don't go, you know, don't go spreading the news about me. And, and that is a good question. And one, we just don't have time because we will get to that in Mark's gospel. But in this instance, in this parable, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, the resounding answer of the scriptures is, Absolutely not. Never has and never will be. And there, there are times where God has purposely concealed something, even himself, right? Isaiah 54, 7 to 8. Uh, I read this and, and I remember how dangerous it is um, to take God's closeness to us, his revelation to us for granted. Because in this Isaiah passage, 54, 7 to 8, he says, for a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God can hide things. He does. He can hide himself. He can choose to not reveal himself to us. But his, his will and plan for time 
shows us that there is a proper time for all of these things. And we see that in Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, when the proper time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's plan is perfect and it includes both concealing and revealing. And what Jesus is teaching us in this, in this parable is that when Christ comes, it is a time for revealing. I love, um, I love this passage, Isaiah 49, 6, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible to just show you, even in the Old Testament, God's plan was always to show his light to the ends of the earth uh, Isaiah 49, 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. A light for all the nations, not just the tribes of Jacob, not just Israel, but for all people. This lamp is supposed to be on the lampstand. And one more point, I think that really captures in this first parable and, and sums it up. The lamp has been brought in and some don't see it as the light. They don't see it as the true light. Should we be surprised by this? I don't think so because in the language of, of John chapter 12, the lamp is lifted up, but he's lifted up specifically when he's on the cross. Is it any wonder why this gospel is veiled when it is such foolishness to the world, right? God on the cross, who would believe that? And, and we need to know that if we understand a crucified savior as God's wisdom, as God's revelation of his kingdom, it's only because the spirit of God has opened our eyes and our ears to see it and hear it as such. To sum up this first parable, verses 21 to 23, the lamp is first and foremost, Jesus Christ. He is the true light, the one who reveals both the father and the father's plan for establishing the kingdom of God. But in a lesser way, the people of God can be the light of the world in as much as they bear witness to and hold up the true light, both by revealing and representing the character and will of God in this present age of darkness. That's what, that's what is contained in this short little statement that some people are going to understand and they're going to get that out of it. And then some people they're not going to understand. Why not? Well, we have another parable. Before we do there, just ask, let's ask ourselves the question, what does it look like for our church to be a lampstand of the gospel? What does it look like? It doesn't mean that we shout the loudest. That doesn't make the light any brighter just because you have the loudest voice. It doesn't mean that we have the flashiest service, right? And it's a good thing because we're down to one projector and a broken computer from 2008. So it doesn't mean that we have the largest congregation, although that's not necessarily a bad thing either. What it does mean for our church to be a lampstand of the gospel is to prioritize above all else 
the clear preaching and representation of the gospel of Christ. Amen. That's it, to be a lampstand. The light is for all to see, as Matthew 5 taught us. But we shouldn't expect all to come to this light. That's what the parable of the sower saves us from thinking. The danger is in being a lampstand that worries why everybody isn't flocking to it, right? So, so the lampstand changes the color of the light or maybe the temperature. And they manipulate the light until it's more attractive to a larger audience. I know we keep coming back to this passage. And if, if you guys walk away thinking every time you hear a parable of Jesus, you think 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4 or 1 to 6, really. I'm, I'm happy with this because the, this is what the verses say. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, the light, but by the open statement, not the secret, the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See this parable, these parables together in Mark chapter four protect us from shining a counterfeit light. We don't have to go to underhanded ways. For example, the prosperity gospel, which draws a lot of crowds, gets a lot of people watching but this light, if you, if you will, is nothing more than a bug zapper. It attracts a lot of people, but as soon as you touch it, it's death. It leads to death. So can we all just agree on the need for light in our world today? For the church to be the lampstand. And can we all agree not to attempt to make that light more relevant in light of whatever crisis our country is going through, the light is the light. It, it shines in the darkness. You, you don't change it according to what will draw more people in. Because the call of this parable is to be a faithful lampstand holding up the true light. There's a second parable here. And we're gonna, we're gonna run through this one quickly and then put them together at the end. And the second one is in verse 24 introduced with that same statement. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That, that opening phrase, pay attention to what you hear. I don't we use the ESV here. I think it's, it's helpful to see just a few different uh, versions to see how else we can understand this. The NIV, consider carefully what you hear. 
the NASB, take care what you listen to. The New King James, take heed what you hear. And then the ESV, pay attention to what you hear. This, this word is, is, is the same word used in Ephesians 5.15. Um, look carefully then how you walk. Carefully, look. It, it actually has to do with the eyes. But there's, there's more care than just observing. It's this deep, deep examination. Pay careful attention to what you hear. Has this not been the, the common theme of Mark chapter 4? In the parable of the sower, the word falls on all these different paths, right? The word is falling upon us as we hear it. And without actually receiving it, without actually listening and hearing, we become those bad soils, right? And, and, and the, the, the impetus of the parable of the sower is to, when you hear the word, don't just let it go in one ear and out the other as if that is true hearing, but to actually hear it, to pay attention, to heed it, and consider it carefully. This, this command here is a, is a present imperative in the Greek, and all that means is it's a continual practice. It's a present imperative. You're always doing this. Pay attention. Pay attention. You must continue to listen throughout your life, not just intently to one sermon and then never again. And, and this is a danger for our church. Why? Because we constantly encounter the word. The majority of our service on a Sunday morning is the, the expositional preaching of the word of God. And, and how easy it is for when you have something that you, it just repeats every single week to just ignore it, right? Uh, I mean, college students, think about when you go to a class for the hundredth day of the semester, how easy it is to tune out the professor and, and, and husbands and wives. How easy it is to tune out the, the, the voice of, of your spouse after you've been together for 50 years. And, and, and it may not even be like, I don't want to listen to them. It's, I could probably, I know what they're going to say. So don't, I don't really need to listen very much. But guys, this is a big book. And anybody who thinks has deceived themselves into thinking that they have it all is, is just dead wrong. And this verse is, is a warning for that. Pay attention continually, continually to go back and, and carefully consider the word. And you know what he doesn't say? Jesus doesn't say, own the biggest study Bible. They're getting, they're getting pretty big these days, honestly. He doesn't say, get a degree from seminary. As if either of those things necessarily means we are paying close attention to the word of God. They can certainly be helpful tools and avenues of knowing the word better. And I pray that they are, but they are only valuable in as much as they bring us to a greater understanding and obedience of the light of the gospel. If it doesn't result in that, it's not paying attention. Pay attention to what you hear because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You've probably heard this before, maybe in a different context because Jesus uses this same saying uh, in, in Matthew, in the, the, the parable, or, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter seven, verses one to two, in the context of judging, right? Judge not 
that you be not judged. Because with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How you judge others, you will be judged likewise. Or Luke chapter 6, verse 38, is in the context of giving. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. But here, our passage is in the context of listening and considering the word of God. So how generous are you with the measure you use in heeding the word of God? How generous are you? How eager are you to hear and obey this word? How much time do you spend on a daily and weekly basis in the word? Is it good measure? Or is it poor measure? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night, because this person is like a tree planted by streams of water, right? Yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, who prospers in all he does. We, we just have this picture of this abundance of fruitfulness. Why? Because the tree is, is planted by streams of water. And if this water is the word of God, how often we just stay thirsty and we don't drink because we're not meditating day and night. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more. As we had in verses 21 to 23, Jesus gives the actual parable, then he offers the explanation or a supporting reason, right? With that word, for, verse 25. For, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, like the measure verse. Uh, you've probably heard this in a different context, the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, both the, the, the worker who was given five talents and the worker who was given two talents do what? They double their talents, right? And, and Jesus' response, or, well, there you go. I'm interpreting the parable already. The master comes back, and his response to both of these people are, you have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much, right? And, but he takes the talent from the one person who buried it. And he gives it to the one who was given five talents and made five talents more. And then we get this verse. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have in an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I have in mind, this is a common occurrence in the Freeman household, a, a child who asks his or her parent for more food, right? And a wise parent would check the child's plate to see if the first helping has been eaten. If the plate is empty, the parent would most likely be happy to serve more food, as long as we're not talking about a second bowl of ice cream or something like that. Uh, however, if the, if the plate is still full from the first serving, a good parent would ask the child, why would I give you more food when you clearly aren't hungry for it? Are we hungry for the word? Because... This is, this is God's promise to us. 
the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more still will be added to you. More still, this is the grace in the passage. It is not a one-to-one ratio. If it is, Lord, help us. Because this stuff is hidden. It's secret. It needs to be revealed. We need the Lord's help in this. And if, if only, the only thing that we understood was as much as we studied, we, we would never even scratch the surface of this. But the Lord's promise is, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more. He is, he is longing to reveal and to teach us his word. So if the extent of your consideration of the word begins and ends with this weekly church service, I think your measure falls short. Because if your hunger is satisfied by simply receiving other people's careful consideration of scripture, I believe your measure falls short. There are way too many men and women who have died to put this in the hands of believers for us to simply say, I don't actually need this. The, the pastor does all the studying I need. He's very good, you know, that Jason guy. When the seed of the word falls on us, we should hear it and receive it to the point where there's nothing left for the birds to devour. Right? That's the kind of measure we should be using. Hungry. For, for to every, everyone who has will more be given and, and he will be in a, and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken um, what are we to make of this first of all it's good news to those who are heeding the word of God that more insight more wisdom more understanding will be granted to you and what a good word especially for those of us who when we read the scriptures and we're, we're truly trying to listen we still walk away confused we still walk away and we feel like we may not understand everything, maybe even defeated like you're just not getting anywhere. Because this is grace. More will be added to you. This is a yield over and above our own efforts. It's just like the parable of the sower, right? The seed of the word is received. The good soil pays attention to it, receives it, and bears fruit way beyond what we would have imagined. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And Christ's promise in this parable is that despite what you may feel in the moment, when you study the word of God, when you pay close attention to it, you are spending your time well. It is worth the hard work. It is worth the investment. But on the other hand, this parable serves as a grave warning to those who persist in indifference. And heed closely to the words of the world, right? It's a solemn reminder that your chances eventually run out. Even what he has will be taken away. Sounds like the first soil, right? Where the seeds fall in the hardened path and the birds swoop in to take it away. But it also sounds like the second soil because in the second soil, there's this initial burst of joy in response to the gospel, to the word. But the shallow, rocky ground causes the plant to shrivel up in the sun just as quickly as it sprouted. 
right? Even what he has will be taken away. And this, this parable of the soil helps me understand verse 25 because when you first read it, maybe you are asking the same question I did. How can the one who has nothing have it taken away? He has nothing. What? That doesn't make any sense. But Luke 18, 8, 18, uh, the, the parallel passage to this, it actually says, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And this is that second soil. People deceive themselves into thinking they have truly listened, thinking that they have received the word and paid close attention. So there's this initial response and they think they've got it. But persecution comes, right? Trials come. And since they don't continue to listen, they don't continue to pay attention. They don't carefully consider the word. Even what they think they have is taken away the second soil. To sum up this second parable, a slightly modified version of that statement, use it or lose it. And in all the commentaries and sermons and everybody goes back to this. And at first I was like, no, that's, that's not it. But it is just slightly modified, right? Use it and gain more. Don't use it and lose everything. Use it and gain more or don't use it and lose everything. That's the call of the passage, right? But to put these two parables together, here's, if you, if you sum up this sermon in one statement, and it's a short one because I think that's helpful. To put these two parables together, To shine brightly, we must listen closely. To shine brightly, we must listen closely. See, the brightness of our lamps, as the first parable talked about, depends on the openness of our ears to the word of God, as the second parable talks about. As as many of you know, I'm a a very uh, avid Frisbee player, in all respects of the word. Uh, and ultimate, a lot of times we would want to play at night. And luckily, Discraft makes these cool glow in the dark frisbees. But in order for the frisbee to glow, you have to put it under a very bright light. And it absorbs the luminescence, right? And the longer it's under the light, the longer and brighter it shines. The longer it is exposed to the light, the brighter it shines. It makes me think of Moses in Exodus 34, right? In the presence of God, meeting with God face to face. And he removes the veil to meet with God. And when he comes out of the tent and speaks to the people, he's got something weird going on with his face, right? Shining brightly because he has been in the presence of the light. Second Peter 1, 19, uh, as, as we close, says this. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. This is us now paying attention to the prophetic word fully confirmed to pay attention to it as a lamb. 
until the day dawns, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's second coming, until that day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see, this Bible, it's like from Genesis to Revelation is a dimmer switch. And as time has gone on, God has slowly been raising this dimmer switch and showing us light of things that were kept secret and hidden from us. We just didn't have access to it, but God shows it. This is what we call progressive revelation. The more time goes on, the more we understand of God and his plan. And, and I, I don't even know what it's gonna be like to get to the very end. There are still things that are not yet revealed, such as the son and his second coming. But at the end, quite literally, Revelation 22, the last chapter, we see that God turns the dimmer switch all the way up. And we see not just through the word, but we actually see Christ face to face. And in Revelation 22, 5, it says this, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. Why? For the Lord God will be their light. No more darkness. No need for lamps under your bed or above it. Because we will be with the Lord. Lord, come quickly. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net. Thank you.